I want to jump right into this because I'm I'm covering a lot of ground today, and um, and and we got to wade through some weeds before we get to some great victory at the end of this. And and is I'm pumped. I'm pumped to deliver this message. But we, you know, we've been working through the Book of Romans. For those of you maybe this is your first time here or first time in a long time, um, we uh, we're doing this thing called Romans, reading Romans backwards, where we started at the end of Paul's letter to the Romans and worked our way back to the middle. And that was to establish who Paul was writing to, what their situation was, what their con- the context they were, you know, he was writing to, all that kind of stuff. Uh, which the context was, uh, Rome, the church in Rome was a very diverse group of people who uh, were struggling to find peace because of that diversity, right? And so then we, we jump back to the beginning of the book, chapter 1, and we're working our way back up to the middle. And we're hitting chapters 5 through 7 primarily today. Uh, and so if you want to turn over in, in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 5, you can do that right now. We um, Can I just ask you this question? Who here feels like uh, you suck a little bit at being a Christian? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I always say I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. And, um, and some, maybe, maybe you say I love Jesus, but I drink a little, or I love Jesus, but I watch porn a little, or I love Jesus, but I get angry a little, or I love Jesus, but I, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, like, it is this, I don't know if you identify with this at all, but I, um, I've, I feel oftentimes very conflicted about my life. I know how much I love the Lord. I love him with all my heart, and I really do everything I can to place him in the primary center position of my life. I mean that. And I also know how flawed I am. And and how can those two things coexist together? And we hear, you know, we hear preaching and we hear verses about how we're, you know, God has made us a new creation and the old is gone and you know, we've got victory over sin and death and all that kind of stuff. And we understand the theological truth of that, but when we look practically at our lives, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like I don't I don't see where sin has actually truly been put to death. You know what I'm saying? Anybody identify with that? Yeah. Okay. So Paul identifies with that too. And, and he spends uh, these three or four chapters, like five through eight, addressing just that idea of why is it that we're so at odds with ourselves, and what does it really mean to walk in the Spirit? And we're going to get all there. We'll hit most of that next week, but... Um, he totally, I did. And the reason, and the reason we're so conflicted is this, like you guys have heard me talk before that the way the world works, the way God has designed everything is not, it's not like this is earth and somewhere off in space is heaven. That's not, you know, and someday we're all going to float up to heaven and get our own little harp and cloud and, you know, wings and all that kind of stuff. That's not the way scripture really speaks about the design of things. What it was, was God had this when he first created everything, he had this unified creation where his presence was in uh, intertwined with all of this natural creation too. And then when sin entered the world, that fractured, that fractured. And so what we have now is not heaven here and or uh, earth here and heaven above. What we have now is actually kind of two realms that live simultaneously. But apart from each other, it's it's very Star Trekky, is what it is. And so it's it's we have we have basically the realm that we live in, and then there's this whole other realm all around us that we can't see that is 
God's realm. And, and that's why Scripture references so often was surrounded by uh, uh, angels or spiritual beings or, or whatever else. And, and so the, the way God sought to start remedying that situation, that chasm, that separation between us and, and him, because <coughs> he first started off with this tabernacle, uh, temple-type system. The temple was not just simply a building where people went to worship. The temple was this place where heaven and earth came together just a little bit, where God's presence crossed over into our realm as well. And it was the place where, where, where Israel would go and meet with God. They could experience, even though the whole world was in, a, in some way separate from his realm, the temple was a place where you could experience his presence in a, in a very real way. And then what happened is, but that was just, a, that was a Band-Aid fix. It wasn't the whole fix. It, it was just God kind of sticking a Band-Aid on, on a really, really broken, jacked up system. And the solution was Jesus Christ. And the solution was him making a way for us to be holy, to approach a holy God, even though that we're not holy, and then sending his spirit to dwell in us once we embrace faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so what happened is that the temp, we no longer needed a building to go to to experience that connection point with God, that, that, that presence of God, that God made us his temple. He poured his presence into us. And so what it is is that when we begin to follow Jesus Christ, we receive these resurrection spirits, these kingdom of God spirits that we're, that, that we're, we're indwelled by. And, and the problem is, and this is where the tension is, is that God has poured resurrection into dead flesh. God has poured his resurrection life, his kingdom uh, ethic, his all that kind of stuff. He's imprinted his law on our hearts and all those good things that the scripture tells us, but he has poured it into unresurrected flesh. And we're still very much controlled by our flesh. And so this is where the tension, this is why, why you love Jesus and you struggle so hard to do the right thing. Because, well, Paul's going to address it. He's going to tell us exactly why here in just a second. But before he gets there, he's kind of got to lay the groundwork of what it is. So, so five through eight in this, in this book is, is really the meat, the heart of this book. It is the primary theology of, of salvation, of sin and Jesus and the whole big shebang. I mean, it, it is, it's the heart of it. So I'm going to hit several points throughout this, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to have a list of about five bullet points that Paul's trying to bring out because these bullet points are leading up to the, the fifth one, which is it's worth the wait. So hang in there, okay? So here we go. We're going to start with Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 6. <clears throat> Paul says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. He didn't wait for you to get your act cleaned up. He didn't wait for you to sow all your wild oats. He didn't wait for you to get all that stuff out of your system. While, you're, while he, you are still sinners, Christ died for you. And then he goes on, verse 10, for if... While we were God's enemies, not just cinnamon, 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 
while, while we were still God's enemies, not just sinners. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That's a beautiful, beautiful thing that God, in his immense love for us, completely sacrificed himself for us while we were still his enemies. That's, and that's why he can, with such boldness, tell us, Jesus can tell us, love your enemies. Because he's got experience in that way. So the first point that Paul's trying to, to get us to realize is this, that Jesus died to reconcile God and his enemies, and that's you. That's all of us, right? We were his enemies, and Jesus died so that these unholy people could come into the presence of a holy, holy God. All right? That's where we go. So then he, he fast-forwards a little bit to uh, verse 20 of chapter 5. He says this, The law was brought in, <coughs> oh, by the way, this is one of those situations, you'll see it's, it's uh, Romans 5, 20 and 21, that's the end of the chapter, and then Romans 6, 1 and 2. Sometimes chapter and verses do not do us a service at all because our mind sees those divisions and we, do, we see it as a break in thought, a whole different topic of starting, whatever, and that's not. It's really important to kind of read these verses together. He, see, he says this, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we just go on sinning so that grace may keep increasing? By no means. And this is one of those times where uh, uh, the English translation is really weak. Sometimes, and Paul, Paul is notorious for this, Paul often uses really rude words in his writing. Uh, that that Bible translators have decided it's just not kosher for church life, right? And so, so he, he does this quite a bit. Rude analogies, rude words, stuff like this. And so where we get this really tame translation of Paul saying, you know, what should we say this? Should we go on sinning? By no means. What he's actually saying, what a better translation for us, he's, it's this very bold, very aggressive, very harsh negative. He's basically saying not, not just no, but hell no. Not just no, but hell no. Like, no, how could you even think about that? It's like the most aggressive, most, most harsh way of saying no that you could possibly say. And he goes this, so, so shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He's like, so, so yeah, yeah, here's the thing about God. Like, your sin can keep going up and up and up. You can keep increasing your sin. But the more you increase your sin, the more God's grace will increase. God is going to keep increasing his grace. And, and he's just like, but don't use that as an opportunity to take advantage of that grace. Because that's just not the way it works. How could you possibly do that? Because we're the people who have died to our sin. How, how can we keep living in that, right? And then, and so the second point he's trying to bring out is this. You can't out God's grace. You can't. And you'll also, you'll never be satisfied with sin once you've experienced that grace. You'll never be satisfied with sin. Not that you'll never sin. You're, you're still going to sin. You're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to make dumb, boneheaded decisions in your life and, and things you wish you could take back. But that choice, once you've experienced the grace of God, you'll never be happy in that. You'll never be satisfied in that sin. The, the, that will, you, you go to that sinful well for a drink of water, and you'll find that it is always dry to you. 
It will never quench your thirst. You'll never be satisfied by that. Why? Because you have been transformed. You're not just you anymore. You're the temple of God, the Holy Spirit. God's presence is poured into you. And, and, and how could you possibly be satisfied, find satisfaction in sin if you're controlled, led, submitted to the Spirit of God? Let's keep going his, following his train of thought here. Ready? Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 20. He says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Because you're being controlled by sin, right? What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but God's gift to you is eternal life. We talked about last week how much energy and uh, time we spend trying to earn our place with God instead of just resting in the gift of his grace. And there's only one thing you can earn, and that's death. And that's this, this third point here is all you've ever earned was death, but God gifts eternal life to you. Important to remember that. All you've ever learned, all, earned, all you, you'll ever be able to earn is death because there's nothing good enough about you, about the core of who you are, for you to be able to present yourself to a holy God and go, check it out. Come on, eternal life. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. God's still going to look at you and go, yeah, you're still jacked up. You're still not holy. Because it, it, it's, it's all about where we do our comparisons and where we set our standards. If you're setting your standard of holiness to somebody else in this room, like if I could just be as holy as that person, whoever that person is, that might be an admirable goal for all of us. But... But the goal is not to be as holy as me or any of you. The goal is to be as holy as God, and it's impossible. It's impossible. Like, it, like it, it's, it's like if you gave an ant the goal of being a human, and the ant, all the ant could see is, I'm just going to be the ant, best ant I could be, and I'm going to be proud of that. It's still like eons away from being a human. God is on a different place, a different plane than us. And he, he brings us into his holiness by his own means because we have no means to get ourselves there. Does that make sense? All right. Now look what he says next. Now this is so good. Now, th okay, Paul, what Paul does next here, it's, this is one of the most confusing passages that he ever wrote. It is, it, you really have to lock your head into what he's saying and, and, and like pick it apart to follow his train of thought because he uses a lot of repetitive words. It seems like he's talking in circles. And it's, but what he says here is the most human thing probably in the whole Bible. It's the most relatable thing for us as Christians in all of Scripture if you can pick it apart and if you can understand what he's, the point he's trying to get across here. So this is what he says, Romans chapter 7, start with verse 18. <clears throat> he says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, because of the, the, um, just the, the way he worded this and how hard it is to follow his train of thought there, his line of thought, there, that last sentence I've read a thousand times at least in my life, and it just clicked in with me last night because I was getting lost in the weeds of his do's and don'ts and all that kind of stuff, right? Read that, look at that last sentence. If I do not, if I do what I do not want, if I do what I don't want to do, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who, do, who does that, but it's sin living in me that does that. Isn't that powerful? Isn't, isn't there a little bit of freedom in that to go, that's not, like when I make those cho- choices, that's not really me. That's that leftover sinful flesh in me. That's not the real me making that choice. I'll, I'll follow up on that in just a second. Look what he says next in the very next verse. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Now, he, Paul talks a lot about law, okay? He talks a lot about being free from the old law, the Jewish law, the, you know, the Hebrew scriptures and all that kind of stuff, and how, how it was insufficient for salvation and how it left us wanting, and, 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 and all it really did was point out our sin. He speaks a lot in his writings about the law, right? But I think that's not what he's talking about in this passage. I don't think he's talking about Torah. I don't think he's talking about those old Hebrew scriptures when he's talking about law here. I think Paul is actually one of the, maybe the first person in human history to use the word law in the same uh kind of line of thinking that scientists use the word law today. It's an observable, proven fact. It's an observation of life. You guys, you guys ever said something like that? I know the scripture says this, but I also know what actually happens in my life, and I can't ignore that. You know what I'm saying? Like there's some observable things that you can go, that's the way life goes. That's the way human nature is. That is a law in and of itself, right? And I think that's what he's actually saying here. So he's all, um, oops, I just shut my, my uh, iPad off. Hold on just a second. Uh, wrong finger. There we go. There we go. Okay. So he says, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of men. And that's how he ends that chapter. Now, Like I said, there is some powerful, really human emotion there, really honest, authentic. Uh, This is Paul at his most authentic, but but it's so easy to get lost in the wording. It's so easy. And so I spent some time this weekend, and I I, I dared to rewrite this. And so I just kind of went sentence by sentence and went, how how would I say what he's saying in a way that just would make more sense to us today in a way that's more friendly to us today? So look at this. Uh, Romans 7, we're going to reread that passage, 7, 18 through 25. Uh, This is not the NIV. This is the PJV, the Pastor Jeff version. Um, It's going to be a big seller. So far, I've got like uh, six verses done. So 
Anyway, so, so just, just, okay, listen, listen to what Paul's trying to say here. Okay, you ready? He says, my nature is not good, it's sinful. I want to do good, but I fail. I want to live a good life, but I keep sinning. But if I make the wrong choice, that's not really me, not the true me. It's the sin living in me. The truth is, even though I desire to honor God with my choices, evil sticks close to me. In my heart and mind, I love God's ways, but the sin in me is at war with the spirit in me. I hate how awful I am at this. I need someone to save me from myself, and I thank God he sent Jesus. So in my mind, in my mind, I'm submitted to God's ways. But honestly, it's still more natural for me to submit to sin's ways. This is what Paul's trying to say to us. It is the most human, most honest confession that you'll ever hear maybe in all of Scripture. Just this like, I love Christ with all my heart. I fully believe in his ways and know how they are best. I see the pattern of life that Christ has set before me, and it's amazing. And I want to be that person. I want to live that out in this world, in my family, at work. I want to do all of that. Like, I get it. I am bought in. I am all in. But I am resurrection poured out into an unresurrected body. And my sin nature that is still here is still at war with the spirit living in me. And we got to come, like, how do we come to grips with that? Paul's like, how, what a wretched man am I, I the way I said it, how I hate how awful I am at this. They may identify with that statement ever. I hate how awful I am at this. Like, it's really easy for us to make everything black and white and be like, well, if you say you love God and you're still sinning, then I guess you really don't love God, right? It's really easy to make statements like that. And if, we, if you were to go back over 12 years of podcast messages, you'd probably find me making some of those statements too. They preach really easy. But can we look at the law of what we can actually observe and see and, and see what's going on in our lives that's tangible that we can hold on to and just go. I think, it, it, I think those things can exist together. Paul admits it. I can have immense love for Christ and still hate that I fail him all the time. Hate that. And if you're like me, we... We limit ourselves in what God can do through us because we are constantly living in that regret and that shame and that, yeah, who am I to step into any kind of you know, ministry or leadership? Who am I to you know, reach out to my friends and family members and try to share Christ with them when I don't have it all figured out? Who am I? You know, we, we, just, we constantly shrink back because of our faults. Because this... This dichotomy exists. God living in us and sin still living in us and just constantly at war. And Paul leaves us at the end of chapter 7. This is where I was going to close today. It's a pretty hopeless feeling. And, and so when I was preparing this message, I was like, I can't just leave on that hopeless note. I can't just save what he has to say next for next week and be like, 
okay, you guys are miserable. Have a good week. Come back for some joy, right? I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. So look, well, first of all, the, the, the point that he's trying to, the, the fourth point he's trying to lead us to here is that sin continues to wage a war inside of you. Even if you're following Jesus Christ, sin continues to wage a war inside of you. That's just reality. I hate that that's true. I hate that about myself. I hate that I fail so much. I feel wretched. I feel like a failure. I need somebody to step in for me, help me. And then the very next verse, Romans 8, chapter 1, and this is the center of all of Scripture right here. You ready? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And I added the exclamation points, all right? Like, that is the heart of it. Yes, all that is true. Yes, I am resurrection spirit poured into an old dead flesh that still has this sinful nature. And yes, my sinful nature is at war with the spirit inside of me. And yes, I fail a lot and I constantly feel like I can't get it right. And I have no right to stand before you and I have no right to stand before God. But thanks be to God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because, and this is the fifth point that he's trying to to bring out you ready it's so good he says that it, it, this is the point that god doesn't condemn you because of because his spirit in you is greater than the sin in you his spirit in you is greater than the sin in you yes that sin exists yes you fell uh, from time to time yes you're making decisions that you wish you could undo and, and do over yes all of that is true yes we are some sometimes we suck at faith Sometimes that's absolutely true, but there is no condemnation. Why? Because the Spirit, God, the Spirit of God, God's presence dwelling in you is greater than the sin that also dwells in you. It's not even a close fight. It's not even a close fight. And what that phrase gives us permission to do is it gives us permission to give ourselves a break. It gives us permission to go, I know I'm not perfect. Now, yeah, I wish I was. I wish I, I had it all figured out. But this is what I know to be true, that the Spirit of God in me is greater than the sin living in me. And so I'm just going to choose to walk in the Spirit as best as I can. And that's what the rest of chapter 8 is about, walking in the Spirit. And we're going to get to that next week. But praise be to God that while this sin is real, and we can't, we got to stop pretending it's not, just stop. You're not fooling anybody. Let's not become that church of people that just all come in and put on perfect little masks and perfect little clothes and pretend like everything is all right when you know you were screaming at your family on the way here. I will not ask for a show of hands, but some of you <laughs> laughed a little too hard at that. Right? Like, let's, let's just stop pretending I go, yes, it's just a law. It's an observable fact. Sin does still exist in me. I still have a sin nature. But I have a spirit that's greater than that sin nature. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to choose to lean into that. Even when I fail, I'm going to choose to lean into that. I'm going to choose to believe that even when I fail, the spirit will has covered it, has forgiven it, has not condemned me, 
And not only that, because God is God, he takes our worst moments and he works them together in some way for good for us. What if we looked at our sins as opportunities for God to move? What if we looked at our sins, and again, and again, like Paul says, should we just sin a lot then? He's like, no, 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 not just no, but hell no, right? No. That's not who you are anymore. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. But when sin happens, and it will happen, don't beat yourself up about it. Don't destroy, don't shrink back. God has called you to greatness. And it's time for us. Guys, this is not the time. I mean, look at the history, the time that we're living in. This is not the time for the children of God to be shrinking back. We need to know that we are forgiven, that we are poured into by the presence of God. And if those two things are are true, we have nothing to shrink back from. Regardless of the choices you make, you have nothing to shrink back from. Don't be your choices. Like, be a child of God. Do that. Amen? Amen. Let's do that. Let me, uh, let's close with prayer. Let me pray this prayer uh, over you that I've been praying for the last several weeks. I love this. Paul prays it over the Ephesians. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for your good word today. God, I, I, I still need help, a lot of help viewing myself the way that you view me. Um, I tend to get so lost in my, my choices and my sins. I tend to feel so defeated. And uh, I need to be able to really believe with everything in myself that your spirit in me is greater than the sin in me. I need to be able to believe that you do not condemn me because you have put your presence in me. So God, where my faith is weak, give me some strength. God, if there's anybody in the room right now that has been like considering the idea of becoming a person of faith, placing their trust in you, but God, they just feel like I, I, I'm not ready. I've, I've got too much baggage. I've got too much sinful behavior and stuff in my life to even think about following Jesus. God, would your Holy Spirit just reach out to them right now, right here in this moment, and just, just build them up with the confidence of knowing that that's not the way you're going to is they will continue to sin just like all of us do. But they'll also be transformed. They'll also be dwelt, indwelt by you. And they're going to start going in a different direction. So God, I pray that you would just call them into you in the, in the way that only you can. 
love you. And we thank you so much for the victory that we have in you. That yes, there's this war that's raging within us, but God, there is victory that has already been declared in that war. We thank you for that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. Here's the deal. We're going to start doing something different around here. Uh, uh, a lot of times people will ask, hey, when, when are you guys going to do baptisms again? You, you know, if you if you decided you want to be a person of faith, or maybe you've just never been baptized, and you feel like that's something you need to do. Uh, so what we're going to start doing is just the third Sunday of every month is Baptism Sunday. You can bank on it, right? And so if you're ready to... to to enter into a relationship with God and show that through through baptism. We would love to talk to you more about that. Indicate that on one of your connection cards and drop it in the basket over there and we'll give you a call later in the week and talk talk that through with you. But uh, third Sunday of every month, Baptism Sunday. So, so don't wait, all right? All right, we love you guys. Have a great week.